0: pro triple seven radio this is episode 194 i believe it will be the second episode in the new year of 2020 which promises to be a very interesting year Uh, we have james true with us today and jason lingren is here as always i'm well i guess i won't mention the name but basically what we're going to talk about here is maybe what my episode image says the idea of a fantasy-based reality the idea of belief over knowing. How do we get to these places? What is it about society and systems that leads us down the path to mistakes, to fantasy? Part of what we're going to try to cover is a way to think about how these things actually work, almost like a systematizing, if that's a word which it isn't, of how these mental systems and, well, I I guess I'll cut it there. Jason, welcome.
1: It's all good. Make up those words as you go along.
0: Good morning. Yeah, I'm I'm trying. It's still early. I'm only on half a cup of coffee here. Um, Do we have anything for the intro? I think we're a little too far
1: ahead for that. The only thing I can really say is that I spoke with Billy Ray Valentine briefly, and we are still looking into where we want to do another live thing, and he's going to check out Philadelphia soon, and I've been looking at possibilities for New Orleans.
0: Well, if we ended up in Philly, uh, Giancarlo comes to mind and possibly um, other people who are related, uh, but I have received probably five emails at least of people saying they were hoping for New Orleans. Either way, uh, if, we did, if we did Philly, that would be closer to me, but uh, anything else?
1: Surprisingly, how many people have said New Orleans, so maybe that's more of a possibility than I originally thought, but let's go.
0: All right. Welcome, James. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, cool. We had a number of people send clips, and we checked you out, and uh, I liked you immediately. The first thing I saw was there was a bunch of music on your wall, every musical (laughs) instrument known to man. I think that's a great thing uh, in the current era of the music that we get that's not really music from my point of view. You need harmony and melody, but um, how are you, man? I'm great.
2: It's a a beautiful day. enjoying the post-solstice and uh, looking forward to things to
0: come. That's right, man. The Night King just handed the torch to the Day King, and here in a day or two, uh, the days will, in fact, begin to grow longer and the nights shorter, and that's always a good thing from my point of view. But as we get in here, uh, where would you like to start? Uh, Let's try to outline or schematize in some meaningful way that an average person can think about the, uh, the mental nonsense that goes on with our systematic world now that's designed to control the way a human being thinks. Great. Yeah, that's a perfect way to jump
2: into it. I think uh, there's a blueprint for mind control, and that blueprint is a three-step process that seriously could not get simpler. And once you recognize this blueprint, you're gonna see it in every single walk of life, from academia, to science, to religion, to social structures, to sex, to family, literally everything. And those three steps are always the same. Step one is you break the target. Step two is you constrict access to their solution. And step three is you harvest the target for energy. Once you understand how simple this blueprint is, you can really look at the world uh, in a more realistic way, almost like viewing it as a jungle and in understanding that there are real live jaguars and predators out there, but in human form, they're psychopaths. And they know this formula. It's such a simple, simple formula that they're able to implement it uh, epigenetically. So not only are we in danger of being caught by it, we are actually already in many ways enslaved by the epigenetics of its effects on our great, great, great ancestors that came before us. I'm not implying that this means that, that we have no free will and that, that we are ourselves slaves. Instead, I'm simply saying that there's more to this jungle than we are comfortable admitting as far as the dangers that are out there and the extent to which our predators will go to exploit us as their prey, basically.
0: So let's uh, let's give a maybe a, a foundational basis for the way the majority of us operate at some point in our life to demonstrate. The stage that has been set where we are then taken advantage of because we cling to belief systems uh, where knowing doesn't come into it all for many of us. We just decide to believe in a thing, and we do believe in a thing with no investigation, no vetting, none of that. Let's use the example of what we see online how many people do we see online that come and their icon is lifted from a Hollywood movie or their name from a TV show? Um, those are not their thoughts, are they? Um, those are things that someone else thought of that they have adopted in some bizarre way as somehow it reflects them, which it really does not. But to take that a step further, when I'm online, I can often, just by the language that I see people using, tell where people have been. because people. A lot of people learn by example, don't we? Um, It's the examples. And this is the problem with television and movies. Those are examples. We don't think they are. We think it's just entertainment. Well, what is actually happening is human beings are doing things that we then see done. And if it's a shocking thing, the next time it's less shocking. If it's a person we respect, we say, well, I respect that person. So he did it, I'll do it. Or she did it, I'll do it. These are the kinds of things that I notice in our society, and I think it's going to play into what you're about to cover.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think you're right on there. I will say that for the purpose of explaining my point in the long term, I'm going to try and pull the word belief out of this uh, fire pit because I think that belief itself has been misunderstood as far as like what that word actually means. Instead, what we see most people do is uh, log on to an archetype. And download a certain amount of energy from it. Um, You can do this by mimicking something that everyone else has seen is going to empower you energetically, either by prana from the group or by
0: prana from yourself. You need to Um, define that. I think a lot of people don't understand what prana is in the Eastern tradition, so it's an energy form. Can you quickly let people know what it is? Yeah it's the
2: plasma of thought the way I'm speaking about it of it's the actually it's the plasma of belief when we believe in our children we're imbuing them with prana it's a tangible life force in which the ether itself sort of the back matrix the the pixels as you as you would maybe call it in our world can be charged with prana or belief so before i do a jump on my bicycle when i was a kid I would tap into the archetype of evil Knievel. I would gain power and adrenaline from believing in him. So, I would give my prana to him and allow him to bestow it with his honor and then re-download it into myself. And that's what would make me brave. So, this is why I'm starting to explain why belief is such a different notion than thinking or or quote-unquote knowing, you know, the concept of what we call knowing something
0: right now. Let's take a look at belief for a moment because I've said so often belief is the enemy of knowing. But what I'm referring to is how uh, belief is misused in the modern age, how it's used against people. Um, Because it's pretty clear that if you just decide, okay, I'm going to believe this thing, you can be taken advantage of because you haven't examined it. You don't know if there's value. You've just decided to do this thing. But if we go back to the roots of the word, it's quite possible. That the original before it became kind of perverted in the modern sense that we see it used so often maybe be like a leaf the idea of a tree a living thing um something like that and i think that's more where you're headed Uh, i think you're headed away from how we see it misused so often in the modern era is that correct yeah that's right it's a form of impotence when society attacks the notion
2: of belief that this is like an atheism sort of approach to gelding us psychically it's basically uh, telling us that, that to even have beliefs becomes wrong because we don't have enough judgment, for example, or we don't have enough X quality or Y quality to make those, those kind of decisions. The expert is the perfect example of this. Someone who's wearing a white tribal lab coat, because he's wearing that lab coat and he has these scripted credentials, he's now bequeathed an allotment of belief that he can then extract and give to the disciples as they see fit. And then something very, very important happens, very, very important, the placebo effect. Society hides our true power behind this word placebo, and because we believe in the ritual of the white lab coat and the administer giving us that, it actually allows us to unlock the healing belief inside of ourselves. Because we've been given a ritual exterior to us that allows us to constrict or to tap into our own power. This is what I meant by the three steps of mind control: that first you're breaking the target. Second, you're constricting access to a solution. And third, you're you're literally harvesting the energy from the victim.
0: So I think part of the part of the tricky nature of what we're about to cover here is it's almost like there's gradations of the idea of a word that we say is belief. And we've already gone through a couple versions of it, but um, this is going to be tricky. It's like when I was younger and I was about to do a thing, you used Evil Knievel. I don't know if that's the best example, but I get where you're going there. I would do a thing. I would picture it in my mind. Like we used to play a game for hand speed. Uh, we got it from that old TV show Kung Fu, where we'd see who was the quickest to pull the pebble out of someone's hand. I learned to get very good at it, and the way I did it was as I would picture myself snatching the pebble before I did it. I suppose we could think of that as a, as a form of belief. Like, I'm picturing this, I believe I can do it, then I do it. But that's maybe a, an entirely different idea of belief than saying, as you were pointing out, this dude with the mantle of authority wearing the white lab coat, uh, he told me this thing, so I'm going to believe it. Those are almost polar opposites of the same word.
1: The whole white lab coat thing, though, that's something that is played upon. It's a good example because that archetype has been set up in the minds of the masses. So it's something that now that they've established that, and this is a concept that's reused over and over and over again, that they can keep playing on. They know if they have a guy in a white lab coat telling you something, the vast majority of people are going to believe it, whether it's complete bunk or not.
0: Well, yeah. it's, it's also inserted in, let's give an example, it's been inserted into common culture through media. Let's use Gilligan's Island. Well, there's the professor. He may not be wearing the white lab coat, but he's still carrying the mantle, isn't he? If there's some scientific knowing that has to go on, uh, he's your man. He'll make you a coconut phony. He can't get you off the damn island to make a pun. But my point is, is there is the idea being imbued in you that this is the professor. Whenever something science in nature comes up, he's your guy. And this is the indoctrination into that kind of archetype.
2: Yeah, the only uh, sort of clarification I'll put, and and all of us are explaining this right, this is a very difficult distinction to make. The only clarification I would put is the reason why I want to keep belief out of the pit is because it's literally the source of our power. The source of our egoic field uh, comes from this sense of what it is that we believe in. And so if you will look at politics or, or actually justice is an even better example. If you were to uh, all of a sudden introduce a court or someone in a black robe to someone who believed in justice, what's really happening is a form of paralleling. Uh, someone is introducing an idea that looks like justice, and therefore it creates a magnetic field around it where you're supposed to either believe in that system or be told that you do not believe in justice at all. So it, it's it's a form of hijacking Right. Your internal plasma through this dogmatic approach, which is disguised under this notion of no wing, of no sis, which is I think this is why it gets so confusing to start to try and 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 you know pull this apart and look at the anatomy.
1: Well, it also suggests that the modern control system is all based on these archetypes now. They're so good at getting these ideas into people's minds that they've got this whole base system set up and ready to go. And what people like us do, we're trying to deconstruct that and get people to think for themselves and not just blindly trust.
0: Well, I think what James just said should be a little further defined. It's a critically good observation. Uh, I call it the binary trap. What he explained is almost like an official source of some sort that's wearing the mantle of authority gives you a choice. You're either with me or you're against me. That's a false dichotomy. Those are not the only options in the world. But you see, the system gets us to buy into the authority idea. So even if we go against the authority, then we've still fallen into the binary trap. I mean, that's kind of what you're getting at, right, James?
2: Yeah, and in fact, it becomes impossible for you to even express your own prejudice, your own belief. Right. Because the moment that you try and speak out against the image of belief, you were then called a hater of that image, which has been, it's just a sigil work, right? This is exactly how sigil work works, because you're able to charge an object with the ideal of something. Therefore, anyone who objects to that object is actually objecting to the ideal. All of these are symptoms of mass population. If we were decentralized, if we had a smaller tribal uh, archetype, None of these things would be happening to the degree that they do, and they would have to become more of an impersonal enslavement uh, in order to control the mind. Right now, it doesn't have to be personal. It can all be done through archetypes. They're sort of like the chopsticks, you know, to get into
0: our head. Well, that's really the key uh, to what we're going to cover here. When you get to a point where you realize you can make your own decisions and you're qualified to make your own decisions, because much of the system tries to tell you, this is science, man. You're not qualified. That guy in the white lab coat, he's qualified. This is law. You're not qualified. That lawyer, he's qualified. And in a way, that's, again, the binary trap. But you see, when you get into a system that approaches you and tells you either you're for the law or you're against the law... There's the binary trap. So how is it that a reasonable person can't say, well, wait a minute, is there more options than that? Uh, Let me examine if I'm for this. Let me examine if I'm against this. Are there other options? But immediately in this binary system where the trap has been set, a person who does that is viewed as unreasonable. But you see, this logic flees the scene. That is not unreasonable for a human being to take that tack. Do you see where I'm going here? Yeah, well, that's that's step one. You've exactly described
2: the purpose of step one for this blueprint of mind control, break the target. The key is they have to break the intuition of the individual so that they no longer trust themselves. The loss of trust is a form of self-evacuation. You're uh, pulling a cork out of your force field of of self belief. You're it's believe it or not, your egoic force field, and you're you're draining yourself in public, while the public is giving you virtue for it. The public is literally rewarding you for embracing your ignorance and declaring that there's no way that you would have the uh, authority or discernment or could be trusted to come up with a decision yourself about vaccines or about government or about war or about justice or about sexism or racism, all of these tactics are psychically gelding you. They're cutting your balls off from the moment you're five, and they're doing that. So when when the time comes, when you have to make your decision, should I go to war? Should I enlist in this army? You're not going to have enough forethought in yourself to believe that you may
0: have the decision and not someone outside of you. This is literally breaking the target, step one. That's right, because if you choose not to go to war, then clearly you're not patriotic, and the binary trap is snapped on you. Um, but let's let's you know, the things you're talking about. A lot of people in the West are going to be thinking it's mumbo jumbo, hocus pocus, and I'm here to tell you it's not. The idea of prana and the idea of chi can be your reference points. For hundreds and hundreds of generations, there are places in this world that utilize these ideas. Whenever you hear the idea of a dragon, that's symbolizing in many of its uses the idea of energy, the so-called ley lines. It goes on. We're talking about human energy, and that's a thing that's been removed from the Western way of thinking. But I will point out to you wholeheartedly, go online and look at some kung fu master who breaks a board from three inches away. They will tell you that he's tapping into his inner chi. They'll even tell you that it's located so many inches above your your belly button. These are the energetic ideas, and you can't really put a solid framework around them in the way the West wants you to. Well, this is black, this is white. It doesn't work that way. But from my point of view, the energies that we're referencing here are undeniable. They just have never been—these ideas are not prevalent in the West, and therefore they're used against us. And that may be the basis of the road we're going down here. James, what do you think? Yeah, I would say that the ether has been petrified into materialism. When
2: you petrify the ether and you turn it into a vacuum, for example, in which even the sound itself cannot escape, you are creating a system where the mind cannot fathom how their own power, their own belief could ever outstretch from outside the body and transmit to something else. So, the psychology itself... Of what we're being taught is again a psychic gelding program that destroys our ability to visualize and the ability to visualize is our ability to transmute belief to physically move it from one place to another all of these things are real and you don't even need proof they've been around you the whole time the perfect example is is if any of you were lucky enough to have your mom make you a lunch when you were a child She would place it in a paper bag, and that paper bag would be a wrapped saran wrap with peanut butter and jelly that was oozing out the sides. There was something about that bag that was yours. It was imbued with energy that spoke to you. And if someone else accidentally ate your lunch and you were eating their lunch, you would taste the difference. You would you would feel the energetic plasma as being not really meant for you. It's meant for someone else. This is like the most tangible example I could give us right now off the top of my head to prove that this isn't mumbo jumbo. This is real life stuff. This is how houseplants live. This is how animals live to 16 inside of some households and eight inside of others. This is how some kids grow up to be really, really gifted and and just really connected to the world, while others grow up to be neglected and riddled with trauma. All of these things are are vessels and the plasma as it's allowed to either be kept inside
0: or lost along the way. Well, I can give another example. How many times have you seen someone tell you, uh, what's the secret ingredient in this thing that I like so much that you cook? Well, it's love. And we, we laugh at that, but it's a true thing. Uh, that's why your mother's cooking is better than anyone's, because when she yeah. made it for you, she, in fact, put love for you into that food. And though you may not taste it in the materialistic way that we tend to do things in the West, I... Confirmed for myself that this is a true thing. As a matter of fact, I have a chef degree that I never used, but when I cook, I always remember that I'm putting my intention into this food, Mm -hmm. but here's maybe a bit more. Uh, I'll give an example. So to hopefully bridge the gap because here in the West, it's hard for people to think about the things we're pointing out. Uh, We're very materialistic and very black and white, and that doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for people. When I first came across these ideas that opened up the door to let me know there's more than than I've been told about, I was reading a thing called the Dhammapada, way back, old Eastern philosophies that ended up in Buddhism, but they precede Buddhism by quite a long way. There was a line there that said, mind precedes all. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, is this true? Does mind precede all? So I set about testing it. I think I can rip a hole in this. The harder I tried, the further away from being able to rip a hole. And by the time I'd wrestled with it and twisted it and tried to tear it apart, I realized that is a true thing. What you do with your mind precedes everything. If you get poked with a pin, your mind is going to send the indicator out that that hurt. I could give endless examples of how I tried to determine, is this a true thing? And for me, It is beyond true. It is as true as the sky is blue. Your mind precedes all. And when you come to understand this, what I consider to be a truth, it opens the door to the things you're beginning to get into. Absolutely. And I would
2: even go so far as to suggest that, although mind, I I definitely understand the point. If we call that belief or we call that something lower in our body, like our assemblage point, when we think mind, that we we would place the center maybe in the middle of our brain, or at least some of us would. But so much of our power is actually not coming from our brain. It's coming from our intestines. It's coming from our heart. It's coming from our lungs. These power centers have their own rhythm. And I think we're able to tap in more to, say, the placebo effect, to um, even intuition more when we stop living above our necks, into our heads. I hope I don't sound contradictory to what you're saying. I'm trying to uh, provide an avenue for people that have been lost in materialism to climb down out of their skulls and uh, dig into their fingers as if they were long gloves and dig into their toes as if they were socks and just really get back into our body right now. Because the more grounded we are in our endocrine system, the more powerful we become. The harder it is to lie to us, the harder it is to fool us. Uh, the harder it is to to make us fall for these silly archetypal games that have literally just enslaved all of us you know in this modern
1: okay. world materialism is one of the key aspects of modern control though
2: mm-hmm. materialism right that's what you said
1: yes yeah
2: yeah i agree that's this is all part of the spell is to convince you that matter is a petrified uh, lifeless pebble and there are many pebbles there are so many that you can't even see them that is a uh, it it would be like going up to a river and filling it full of 10,000 plastic cups, and just calling that okay, and just pretending, yeah, it's still a river. I mean, look, it looks just like a river. But once you crawl into it, there's no way a fish could ever live in that kind of environment. It doesn't have the ability to to move through the water. It's going to get blocked in another cup, and another cup, and another cup. That's what materialism does to us, to our power, to our sense of belief, really. It makes us delegate it to someone else, which is usually the zeitgeist, Not necessarily logos, instead it's the zeitgeist. And since we're now basing all of our own belief on a green light that's given to us by the zeitgeist,
0: that's really what ends up killing us uh, and enslaving us into this satanic machine. Well, there's a couple of things going on here. I'll come back to say there is no lie in nature, and your example of the river is perfect, and your example of materialism is perfect. The vast majority of all materialism we currently see is based in artificiality, um, and that's what you pointed out in the river. There's a huge difference between the natural water that should be there and the artificial cups, but that could be blown out in any direction in the material existence, like right as we come into Christmas here. It's all based in gimme stuff. Well, what is that stuff? The vast majority of that stuff is artificial. It has no existence in the natural world. It's a contrivance. It's a mimic. It's whatever you want to call it. But to get back to the belief, this is a real problem for our conversation because of the way I've used it. And I'll just add this to the record as we go down the road. I actually tried to swap out the word belief because I recognized the problem in it. We Mm -hmm. didn't have two gradations of belief. When I wanted to snatch the pebble, I visualized it and I believed I could do it. And then I did it. That's one gradation of belief. The other gradation is this dude I know nothing about told me this thing, but he's got the mantle of authority, so I'm going to believe what he told me. There's two gradations. So what I did is I took the word belief and I replaced it with the word accept. And what it instantly did for me was when I believe a thing, it's not so easy to let go of it. If I get other information that tells me that belief probably isn't accurate, the problem is, is I believe it. I don't want to let go of it. It's mine. I made that belief. But when I use the word accept, something changes. Now I accept it for now. It's in my back pocket, in my accepted pocket. If this other information comes that shows me it's incorrect, I don't have to accept it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the problems we're going to have in this conversation because you could truly say, you could truly honestly say, I want to grab that pebble from someone's hand. I'm visualizing it. I see myself doing it. Now I believe I could do it. And therein lies the the catch-22 for what we're covering. Yep. I would even
2: maybe suggest the word following. It's not that many of us believe someone else as much as we follow someone else. Good and point. we're doing that more for serotonin because the, you, you are rewarded by having the right archetypes. You know, when we grow up, I grew up in the South, so to me, the Dukes of Hazards were, were like the badass, the best archetype you could ever have. It fits heritage, it fits freedom, it fits sovereignty, it's just all this cool stuff. But that archetype is problematic when you go out West, and then you try and express your love for the Dukes of Hazard in California, then all of a sudden you're a racist. There's this following, there's such a pressure to follow the dopamine that this is really the magic of fashion, guys. It's sort of a tangent, but I swear this actually explains it. Because if you really think about the power of black magic fashion, you truly understand how archetypes work as fashion. The perfect example of this is is picture a war. You have two sides. Each of them are in a trench. They're making a decision to kill based off a fashion decision of the other person. No one's yelling across the field, out of the trench, what is your socioeconomic philosophy as it pertains to God? And then (laughs) shooting based on that answer. It's purely based on what is the fashion decision that this person made this morning. That's how I'm going to base my homicide off of that. That really (laughs) shows you just how brutal and just how deep The serotonin programming goes and why followers are prone to go. It's because of this crook and flail of mind control. The crook would be the gentle uh, hook that pulls the sheep out of the briars. The flail is basically uh, the club. It's beating the crap out of the sheep until he moves. Both of these are techniques that they use to control us. And, And it's so effective that it leads us to think that the opinions we have are legitimate thought out, accurate, scientifically correct, and and sound.
0: And and none of them are. It's just all fashion decisions. Such a good point. I mean, that whole idea could put Monty Python out of business. Uh, It works on so many levels, but you can even take it further, can't you? What's a flag? A flag is an extension of exactly what you're talking about because it creates the us and them and the false dichotomy and the serotonin and the pride in you because you belong to that group. We could take it to sports. It's no different. This is my team. That's your team. It's us and them all over again. But um, the fashion thing is critical and they've even written songs. What about David Bowie's fashion. What the hell is he talking about? He's talking about what you're talking about. I remember some years ago, there was all this to-do about some new woman's shoe. And when I asked, well, what's so special about it? Why does it cost so much? They informed me because the sole is red. And I said, well, wait a minute. So the thing about the shoe is the sole, which most of the time you can't even see is red. That's what makes it special. And that was basically it. There were other minor differences, but that red sole on that shoe was being used as exactly a, a device, basically. I don't know. Do you Can you call that a sigil? I, I don't know. We're starting to get into these ideas, aren't we? Where all of a sudden shoes with red soles have this power that all these other shoes don't have. You see where I'm going here? Well, this is exactly why I use
2: the word prana to talk about this word that we're temporarily calling belief, you know, like whatever that word is. This is why I call this prana, because something is physically happening right. with that fashion designer. They are able to imbue their energy, their oscillations, their possession. It's more of like an algorithm into that shoe. And the other person, here's, here's, here's why logic means jack right now. Because that other person looks at that shoe and tries to build a matrix. They try to build a ladder up to that shoe to explain why it's $5,000. And the answer that their logic fills in is because the sole is red, silly. And then everyone around them now is able to go, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God we have an answer now. I was so afraid you guys were going to make me say because I believe in it. I don't want to be held responsible for what I believe in. I'm looking for Jacob's ladders here, guys. I just want to advance. I want someone to tell me what's hip so I can turn around and explain why something else is hip and utilize this last archetype as a freaking uh, stilt. And, and the taller the stilts you have, the further you go up. And the downside of that is you end up with this pedestal mind control, where as you climb up to the top, the last thing you ever want, ever, ever want to happen is fall down. So you will literally lie, cheat, steal,
0: kill, murder, commit pedophilia, do anything you can to stay on top. So I'm going to tell a non-truth here to make a point. I really needed to know why these red shoes were so special. So I got some to examine, not. And I looked into the soul and I found there were human being magnets hidden in the soul, not. And so then I began to understand, oh, there's human being magnets and they don't work on all human beings, but man, some human beings cannot break free of the human being magnet imbued in that soul. So there's a non-truth to make a point that I know you can expound on because I'm trying to communicate to people who are new to the idea of energy or prana or chi or any of the ideas that used to be in our world that explain these energies we no longer recognize in fact that red soul was imbued with something right it's not tangible we can take the soul apart and we really can't find the human magnet i just lied about it's not there but yet there is in fact a form of human magnet imbued into that soul doesn't work on everybody though does it to really take this this
2: point home, I want us to picture that there's these things called malls. That is true. and, And you're walking through a mall and you see this woman in leopard pants and they are the tightest velvet leopard pants you can imagine. And this woman has an ass bigger than a truck, yet she's carrying herself like the queen of Sheba. She has the posture, she has the nails, She has the hair. She has the mask, right? She has the mask of the voodoo that transforms her into this walking Cleopatra, Sheba archetype. Now, I can look at her and not see that at all. Like, I I might see that and not see that at all. But part of me has to recognize how much prana and power She's able to imbue by encircling herself in this egoic field that makes her feel that way. It makes her feel that way so much that she can wear this in public and gain power from it. She can hunt men and eat them alive uh, that night for dinner. And it, it is a power that she has, which is a placebo She's able to tap into that archetype. She's doing the opposite of what Zeitgeist does. She is finding that plasma and power within herself, and she's able to empower from it. Versus someone else who, say, a victim to fashion is like, well, until Abercrombie & Fitch has the right ad, I'm not going to be able to imbue power from their fall line, that kind of thing.
0: Right. So the woman in the mall, if we want to be honest about this, is damn near every one of us. We all have our version of what you just described. Each of us, very few of us do not. Those, those few that do not are very high-minded human beings. But it reminds me of the old saying that so many are familiar with. Each of us is really three human beings. where who we think we are we're who everyone else thinks we are, and then we are who we truly are. And I think what you're pointing out is the mask that covers who we truly are. And the real truth is, most of us don't even really know who we truly are because of all these things. Yeah, I speak highly of this lady at the mall. I,
2: I, I think she's doing important work. And uh, I don't know if we ever really don't know who we are, or if we ever do know who we are, because to even ask the question, who are you, is to kind of uh, insert this sinister notion that, that you need to even be somebody. There's just so much chemical uh, injection happening all around us. That our foundations are constantly being uh, stretched and stressed and cracked, which is why I give so much credit to this to this lady walking through the mall. She's able to find and harness her own plasma, her own belief, and it gets her far. By the way, she may not it may not work on me, but she's going to have much more success because, as you said earlier, it begins in the mind. It begins with her
0: first thought, her first uh, notion. Of that plasma bubble that she creates. I guess when I consider what you've laid down here, it reminds me of things that I read about across many cultures where people claimed they were headed towards enlightenment. What were they doing to try to get there? And some people got beyond, they claimed, the mask, the outfit, the makeup, the red-soled shoes, the things that we identify that make us I. And what they found, if I understand, is that they found they were nobody and yet they were everybody and i know it doesn't make sense to the average person trying to logically work out but it makes sense to me it's almost like i used to read about meditators who tried to use examples to communicate to normal people and they would say things like well you you haven't gotten anywhere until there's no difference between a brick of gold and a pile of horse poop and i used to think what what the heck does that mean but as i went on i started to fathom what mm-hmm. that means because The brick of gold can be used to define who we think we are. Well, I'm the rich guy with the brick of gold, right? Um, And it's not permanent. There's no permanence. And I think really how I choose to deal with what you've laid down is if a thing doesn't have permanence, it really can't be considered to actually exist in anything more than an illusory illusory way. Do you follow all that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot to, to rekindling what our egoic
2: field means. And what it is and what it does. And that is a completely different conversation than, say, who or what we truly are, you know, uh, overall. Like, do we have a soul? Are we an antenna of meat and bone? Things like that.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, this gets to be overwhelming at some point because most of us, we have our security of what we want to believe, what we think is correct how we can go through a day and we proved it worked because we did it yesterday and the day before and the day before. But in fact, the reason that we even bothered to try to decipher this is because the day before and the day before and the day before, most of us were caught in a systemic trap by people who know how to utilize the average person walking around not understanding, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Most of us are in a trance of you know Stockholm Syndrome and uh, we are... Literally in the back of the van with a guy we're calling our Uncle Sam, who's going around from bank to bank to bank and blowing the brains out of anyone who tries to stop him. And as we continue in the van, he buys us an Egg McMuffin one morning and suddenly we fall in love with him. We feel like that, that he's no longer our enemy. In fact, he's secretly plotting to rescue us. But he needs us to hang on a little bit longer because of all the other bad guys in the van. So we build this fantasy inside of ourselves. And, and we base all this power and prana off that one egg and muffin we got. And we're just completely convinced that it's going to be okay, that it's going to be okay. And this creates uh, an island of meat toys. And then those meat toys have kids. <laughs> and then those kids have more kids. And we are the children of those kids, of those kids, of those meat toys. And this is why to truly understand our condition, the best the best sigils you can use are going to be in nature. You're going to have to look a lot more at, at raw nature and what prana is as, it, as it's exuded from, say, an eagle or a bear or a raccoon. It, it's only then can we
0: truly understand just how freaking whacked we are because of the Stockholm Syndrome. Well, it's a good point. And I went at these ideas and I went back to the old Eastern ideas. I went to alchemy. I went to the oldest books I could get my hand on. I tried to get back to a time when people were more reliant on nature to see if anyone had answered these questions. And I am convinced that many answered the question. The problem is, is that a bunch of people who answered these issues, these questions weren't sharing. Because I guess it's a bit like throwing your pearls before the swine. From that point of view, I'm not 100% sure, but this is what I deduced. The Stockholm Syndrome has us convinced that this place is something other than it is. The Mm -hmm. truth of this place we exist is it's based on suffering. We come into this world, and before long, we are suffering. We convince ourselves that we're not suffering because we have shoes with red soles, because we have a nice house, because we have a bank account, because we have people that love us. But the truth is is that we're all going to die. And we act like that's not true. We don't talk about it here in the West. There are plenty of cultures who did, which I think is very helpful. We act like that's far from me. I don't have to address that. Then when, it's ha- when someone does die, this surgical system that is built up around us whisks the body away so that no one sees it. And then it's taken to this place nobody knows anything about, and it's burned up, or anything happens. And even if it's not burned up, it's stuffed in a box. And then we all go... For the most part, and we see a box get put in the ground or this canister of ashes, never having had to face the truth of the suffering of this place. We're all going to die. It's a true thing. And I spent a lot of years trying to convince myself that I was going to die. And when I finally did convince myself that I was going to die, it's scary at first. And then you begin to realize, I'm no different than anything that's ever been here. All created things will see their end. And the problem is, is that death has been misconstrued as if it's some foreign thing, some fearful thing. It's going to happen to every living thing that ever existed in the system. So, I mean, to what degree do you feel the suffering and the truth of where we are plays into what you're getting at by those who know the truth?
2: I agree with, with all that. I would probably even break suffering down even more into the word constriction that it's, it's constriction that enslaves the world more than, say, the instrument of suffering. And constriction allows suffering to extract prana. So there's like a watiko, this uh, moral cannibalism that, that we're all suffering from that's in the world. And it's causing uh, us to mutilate each other because we don't know what happens after we die. This amnesia has been installed in us on purpose. It creates this uh, limbic, reaction in us where we we have like shortness of breath, but like all the time, we just don't know it. We're literally living in like a short breaths from the moment we're born to the moment we die because we have this amnesia. We're, we're afraid of something that's happening. The amnesia is is really important. It's just as important as the materialism. There's a technology to bones. In fact, I should probably just leave this topic here because it's such a huge topic that, that we, we could do a whole show on it, even more, like weeks and weeks of this. But there's a technology to bones. And by keeping them in a box surrounded by air, they're not able to absorb into the ground and and empower you. So when we think we die, we think we ended. And the reason why we think we ended is because Hollywood's told us that every demon and every spirit and every ghost that we ever see is something we're supposed to be afraid of. On top of that, you have something called lore technology, this Kabbalistic mind control spell that was adopted in the Old Testament times, which literally installed an extraction device that turned our ancestors into this smooth peanut butter of reverence that it's able to distribute to each of us on a wafer or a cracker. So we're getting back the very energy that we're supposed to be tapped into, but it's refined, powdered, and burnt, and served to us as something that comes from outside of ourselves. When we start looking at demons and understanding these are our tormented ancestors, that's when empathy starts to pour back into the world, and the materialism spell literally shatters before our eyes, and we start to wake up to figure out who we are, and that's when death becomes something more of what the Egyptians called, which is Westing. It's more of just a passing of the threshold.
0: Right. No word for death at all. I'm very familiar with what you're laying down, but let's point out uh, even the system is so perverse as to have put amplifiers on these things that we're addressing like a couple days in a row. I had to turn on the television to grab my news. I wasn't logged on because I needed to know what the weather was going to be like today. Do I need a jacket? Is it going to be warmer? The moment the TV went on, the first words out of the mouth I heard was a woman died today. Mm -hmm. There's your amplifier. You're already afraid of death. No one's ever told you about death. You have amnesia about what death means. And before we move along from this topic, I'll point out one of the most helpful things. I read about these guys who one of their early traditions was to meditate on death, to admit to yourself that you're going to die and start to visualize that moment, become familiar with this thing we act like is never going to happen, that we're afraid of to the core of our being. And I did these things. And I just want to state for the record, it changed everything for me because at first it scared me and I wanted to hide from it. And I did, but then I came back and slowly I quit hiding and I began to realize that yes, I'm going to die. And I can visualize what that's probably going to be like. I can visualize many versions of what it could be like, but at the end of the day, the same result. And this is what it did for me. It changed how I interact with human beings. I realized every person I see, they may be doing something I don't care for, but I know damn well they're suffering just like I am, just like everybody is. And what's more, they're going to die, and everyone they ever loved is going to die, and I'm going to die. We're all the same in this place. And it allowed me to communicate at a much higher level with human beings from that point forward. And I figured I'd just put it on the record. Yeah, that sounds right. I wish I was more in touch with the longer term timeline
2: of what I'm doing here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, it changed another thing too. You know, people who've had pets, I had to put a a dog down uh, that we had for years. He was stuck to my side everywhere I went, he went. It's like losing a family member. But for the first time, it hurts. I'm not going to lie to you, it hurts. But I realized almost immediately He's done suffering for right now, Mm -hmm. and it was a whole different outlook on feeling terrible for a long period of time and feeling lost to understanding that suffering just stopped. You know, it's the old idea from that old, what is it, Shakespeare, throwing off the mortal coil. There's a lot to be said for these lines. What about Pink Floyd, Uh, shorter of breath and one day closer to death? It's mm-hmm. not like people don't understand what we're talking about. It's just that most of us have been programmed to be clueless. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we think it's, it's over when we die. And there's so much evidence that suggests
0: uh, a lot of different things happen, actually. Well, as far as I can tell, it's over when the fat lady sings, and the fat lady never sings if you're a human being, as far as I can tell.
1: Mm-hmm. But she does wear red shoes.
0: Well, <laughs> we need a new fat lady.
2: i recommend one with tiger leopard pants that carries
0: herself well it works while we're trying to to ward off all the suffering doesn't it it's like our it's like body armor it gives you that (laughs) confidence that you need to overcome the hardships and pretty soon we forget that there are hardships and pretty soon we convince ourselves that everything's hunky-dory here (laughs) but it's not true
1: So, James, why don't we wrap up our one with just giving out all of your info, who you are, what you do, just in case anyone was not familiar with who you are and what you do.
2: Great. Thanks. Yeah, um, I'm a writer by trade. I've uh, written my third book, just came out in October. That's called The Technology of Belief. Uh, But before I tell you about that, I want to tell you about my second book, which is Blueprints of Mind Control. I'm under the impression that one of the chief problems that we have right now is that we have shamed our ego. We believe that our ego is something that's bad. In my book, Blueprints of My Control, I explain that ego is like a gas tank and that if all of us had more gas or if we lived in a society where we were allowed to have more gas, that so many of us wouldn't be wandering around the streets just desperate to make it up the next hill because we might be running out of gas before we can get to a gas station. This is what causes this uh, phenomenon called virtue bootlicking, where we're literally flogging ourselves in public about how awful we are, and we do that in exchange for prana. I think if we could reinvigorate our ego across the board, we would show, we could inject in the zeitgeist this idea that it's actually not bad to be a human, and that ego is actually our source of pride, our source of reputation, our source of empathy, and actually gives us powers such as telepathy. The more ego we have, we're able to extend that plasma into someone else maybe who's having a hard time, and we can make suggestions to help them. So that second book, Blueprints of Mind Control, is literally a hand grenade into the zeitgeist or a uh, lightsaber that I'm shoving up the taint of evil, that I really want people to reinvigorate themselves and find that power. After you've done that, you can read Technology of Belief because it really does try and explain how our beliefs are a living plasma talks about the placebo effect in science it has a lot of research in there to back up what i'm saying it's basically there to uh, reinvigorate the sovereignty of
0: man thank you wow wow i'm i'm uh, i'm interested because the way you just described ego uh, maybe there's something for me to gather there i had always considered ego as the other in all the work that i've done but i wonder if we're talking about the very same thing it's like belief um we can easily distinguish that we've used it in two polar opposite ways here But as we wrap up the first hour here, I'll say this. When you stop in the middle of your life, and I don't know, some people call it a midlife crisis. I think it happened for me earlier than midlife. I know it did. And I started to think about these things. And you truly want to get to something of value. You'll start to think about maybe some of the things we've laid down here. And I'll say the biggest thing that I gained was being able to interact with other other human beings and have a true concern for them, regardless of who they are. Regardless of what labels sexuality or, or whatever label society puts on them, I realized that they're no different than I am. They're stuck in this place. They're doing the best they can, and they'll do anything to try to not suffer, which is true of most of us. And one of the ways that I went about doing this is I read this old meditation guy. I don't even remember. It was somewhere in India. He wasn't Buddhist or anything like that, but he said, try this for a while. Think of the person you like the least in the world and imagine yourself giving them a hug. Mm -hmm. And the next time you meet them, go up to them and interact with them as if they are not the person you like least in the world. And I did this. And at first, it was a charade because I did these things in my mind and that was easy. But when I got to them again, that chemistry wasn't there for whatever reason between us. But as I kept at it, it fell away. And I won't lie, they didn't become my favorite person, but what it did was force me to recognize that that human being is dealing with exactly what I am, and by the way, they're going to die. Anyhow, that brings the first hour of episode 194 to a close. We hope you'll join us over at crow777radio.com, that's crrow w seven 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 radiocom where we utilize free speech. That's why the website is there. That's why we've built it. These platforms that are free to the public, we don't own them. And to some degree, we're being forced to do things that we don't appreciate. That doesn't happen over at crow 7 radiocom Hope to see you there. Cheers.